It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Hello from a beautiful day in the Bay Area in California. Just a quick note to say welcome back to Mid-Atlantic. We will try and get these shows out once every fortnight or bi-weekly, as our transatlantic cousins say. Also, I need to let you know that Mid-Atlantic is part of the Agora Podcast Network. The Agora Podcast Network is a network of independent podcasts that are banded together to showcase their wares to the great podcasting public around the world. Now, this month, our special podcast of the month is Chris Stewart's excellent The History of China. So go over to agorapodcastnetwork.com or iTunes or a podcast of your choice to download and to listen to Chris Stewart's most excellent History of China. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem... Said Britain is just a small island that no one pays attention to. A former colony won the right to determine its own destiny. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I am ably helped in this matter by Rob the History Man, Monaco, all the way in Connecticut. And uh, this week, we are joined by new kid on the block, Thomas Daly from Massachusetts. Uh, Gentlemen, say hello. 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 Uh, Now, folks, we might hear from our journalist pal, Mick Wright, somewhere in London. But um, at this ungodly hour, Mick um, is probably still asleep. So so let's hope, let's fingers crossed, that Mick does actually ring in. Uh, But we're going to crack on with the show. I'm your host, Royfield Brown. I am in San Francisco. Um, In a week in which the world has spawned Brexit and uh, Trump as being his normal good self, these two gentlemen are going to help me make sense out of what is going on with the world. Gentlemen... Before we get going, are you pumped and are you primed? Are you ready to go? Yes. That I am was super not psyched. A convincing <laughs> <laughs> answer at all. <laughs> 
The six founding members of the European Union want Britain to get on quickly with the process uh, of exiting the bloc. That's according to Germany's foreign minister, who made the comments after hosting a crisis meeting with foreign ministers from the EU's founding nations, just a day after Britain voted to leave the bloc. I don't think that uh, Great Britain was setting an example for Europe. Uh, you know, listening to our own population, I think there is still a big majority which is in favor of Europe and European cooperation. But uh, what the majority is uh, expecting that Europe is delivering, and uh, that was the reason why I was saying there is... Uh, after this uh, decision, after this referendum in Great Britain, there is uh, no reason for hysteria on the one side or paralyzed uh, shock on the other side. There's been somewhat of a political, economic and geopolitical earthquake this week. It's called Brexit. Gentlemen, Stop. gentlemen <laughs> what the hell has happened in my homeland? Uh, new kid on the block, we're going to go with you. Give us your take on what has happened. Um, it, 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 it's, it's a bit of a mess there, isn't it? Um, I guess the best, the best way I've, I've seen it is it seems to be an extension of kind of, uh, the rise of conservatism and a general, uh, disdain of the masses for the the leadership classes the political leadership classes and um wow is this gonna really uh make things messy for europe and, and the world as it's already affected national markets and international markets rather mm. is this uh more of a v sign as we'd say in britain rob to uh, the EU, or is it a V sign to globalization, as Tom is kind of hint, hinting at? No, I think I think the EU, EU is gonna is gonna remain on this, and if anything, you'll probably see Germany and France keeping things together. Um, sort of the stronger nations, they're gonna try to keep it all intact. But I already saw, for example, uh, Spain is what they want to kind of bring gibraltar into this mix right now that hands well, off our rock hands off our rock they're not going to have gibraltar <laughs> though interestingly gibraltar was the first place to vote uh, it was the first place of which the results came in on the night and i think there's something like twenty thousand people could vote in gibraltar and i think 93 voted to leave so it shows you, it shows you what the Gibraltarians think about the EU. They they love it. They love it. From from American perspective, um, how do you view Britain now? Over to you, Thomas. Um, well, I thought you guys had your stuff more together than we did, mm. but um, you know now it seems, looking at what the American temperament has been over the last decade, um, now I know where we get it from. <laughs> uh, essentially. <laughs> The apple doesn't fall far from the tree in that regard. Uh, you guys are a bit batshit. Yeah. Uh, but uh, honestly, the one thing that, that my biggest takeaway is I understand, generally speaking, the structure of the British government mm -hmm. uh, or the UK government. Um, and I know that uh, the Queen is not the uh, you know political leader, that she's the, the head of state. 
But it's thrown to me, excuse me, it's appeared to me that why have this institution if during one of the biggest questions in the last 50 years confronting the UK is Queen Elizabeth getting a pass for just being silent? Uh, Her father certainly wasn't silent. During World War II, they made a movie about it, uh, The King's Speech. Uh, where he definitely interjected on political and moral issues. And and this, to me, seemed like one. Uh, So I'm sitting here kind of dumbfounded. Okay, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to jump in. The British head of state, the monarch, uh, cannot have any political utterances. What she can do, or what he can do, is to advise the prime minister. And this is done in two weekly meetings, which I think happen... Tuesdays and Thursdays so the Prime Minister nips around to Buckingham Palace and basically says to the Queen this is what I'm doing at that point the Queen can actually say to him well invading Norway right here and now David Cameron to get out of this EU debacle is a bad idea right to grab their oil fields because we're, we're going to be broke right that's you so that's a bad idea but she cannot actually publicly say anything um though interesting be a great idea well, you know, you know. His oh, hold on, Royfield. Better you clarify something late than for never. Me? Go, go on, Thomas. So she's not allowed to speak to a reporter. No, no. And by um, law, yes. Well, by convention, by convention. Well, and, wouldn't that be and, seen as the monarchy overreaching itself? Absolutely. What she is <laughs> is a symbol of continuity, uh, political and historical continuity. That she ca- she actually has no political opinions yet of course she does and actually at the start of this whole uh, campaign um, the Sun newspaper let it slip that actually the Queen was uh, wasn't necessarily uh, wanted to leave the EU but the Queen didn't want Britain to join in the first place so that uh, that has come out but she could never say that publicly because actually it would undermine the institution it would become a political institution and uh, there's a famous um, constitutional thinker in the 19th century called Bagshot that basically said that uh, no light should shine on the British monarchy in terms of its political views it's there as as an orb uh, you know to rally all the people etc etc so um, and I I could I could be wrong here, but I think the last British monarch who overtly, uh, clearly had political views and said things in the press was I think was probably William the Fourth. Somebody could yeah, and somebody will probably write in and correct me and stuff. I've got a sneaky feeling that George the Fifth, so the Queen's grandfather, uttered something, but that would have been in like the nineteens or something for another. Uh, so no, the the Queen cannot say anything, and if she did, she'd absolutely undermine the institution of the monarchy. She is there, though it's a Britain is a constitutional monarchy. In effect, it's a ceremonial monarchy. And I think Cameron's doing. He did enough to undermine the democracy as it <laughs> is. So. <laughs> Let's well, just have a referendum. Nothing's gonna happen. Well, then, then here's the other question I have mm-hmm. about the system over there. So, is Cameron now pretty much the most disastrous prime minister that there's been yeah. in living memory? Uh, 
in living considering memory, all the consequences, in living memory, you would struggle to think of somebody who's done a worse job than David Cameron because the Tory Party, the Conservative Party, in their official title, um, they are called Unionists. And Good job. That, yeah. Uh, so they were the country. They were the party of the country that defended the union. So in Northern Ireland, the Protestant parties there are actually called Unionists and they are allied to the Conservative Party. But for reasons which I won't go into now, political parties in Northern Ireland, the, the mainland parties in the United Kingdom do not uh, sit in Stormont. Uh, the Conservative Party are the Unionist Party, which is almost a bit of a misnomer because, number one, they hardly have any seats in Scotland, but then neither do the Labour Party or the Liberal Democrats. They hardly have any seats in Wales. In fact, I don't think they have any uh, parliamentary seats in Wales. And the Unionist Party, the Conservative Party, have actually now gone and destroyed the Union. So, uh, yes, David Cameron uh, will go down in ignominy uh, in terms of British... Uh, British Prime Ministers in, in the 21st century, in the 20th century, and uh, Tory leaders. And what he did was he took a political gamble because the Tory party, ever since, uh, ever since Thatcher, the Tory party has been split between its right wing, which for ideological reasons, which are not too dissimilar to, let's say, the Tea Party and Libertarians and right-wing Republicans in the United States have be, are anti-big government. So, of course, ideologically, they are anti the European Union. And then there is this a line of nationalism and British... Uh, I'm not going to call it exceptionalism because you Americans do a good line in, in, in exceptionalism, but a line in, <laughs> let's say, being slightly isolated from continental Europe because of that channel and because of our history. So you have this faction of the Tory party which has, has been for the last 30, 40 years against the EU ideologically. Then you have uh, more left-leaning Tories, of which Cameron is kind of in the middle of the Tory party, who see this as, well, um, a historical project uh, to help uh, so, as a bulwark against uh, war and also the fact that they are just more pro-business. Uh, as opposed to ideologically being wary of kind of big government. And successive Tory MPs, sorry, successive Tory Prime Ministers have fought against this more, against the right wing, of which the Splinter Party then was UKIP, uh, which splintered from the Tory Party, and is, is the UK Independence Party, which absolutely just wanted to get out of the EU. And it's Nigel, Nigel Farage is... In, in, in a few ways, not too dissimilar to Trump, very much a populist, but to give Farage his, his due, he's more intelligent than Donald Trump, but, um, but he's very much a populist, has a, a working class appeal, even though he is a very successful businessman, talks about ordinary people all the time, and that UKIP allied with lots of right-leaning Tory MPs, um, have led to this constant battle in the Tory party and David Cameron thinking, as everybody else in the UK did, that if there is a referendum on this, it would help put uh, this Tory infighting to bed, took the calculated risk to have this referendum and look where we are now. Wow. So, right, gentlemen, 
Holy moly, you should put that on the, the show description. Kaisen, <laughs> if Americans want to figure out what the heck is going on, holy moly. Um, that, was, that was riveting. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Thomas. Um, that wasn't Thomas. <laughs> oh. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> and Thomas, why weren't you riveted? <laughs> I listen to that all the time from you, so oh, true. I'm used to it. I, I, I do, I do rabbit on, I do rabbit on. I, I've got a sneaky feeling that we are, that Britain is not going to leave the EU. Um, whoever wrote the rules on this referendum, they were actually quite smart. This is just a consultative referendum. A referendum, sorry. This doesn't actually bind us actually to leave. Now, let's just forget the moves of Merkel and Dragin, whoever in, in the EU, that's saying, we want you out as soon as possible. If I just put that to one side. Number one, if the referendum took place today, Britain, it'd be 60-40 split. There are enough people who have voted leave that realise it's a mistake already. And that potentially we are looking at the dis, disintegration of the United Kingdom because Scotland is the most pro-region uh, and, and actually surprisingly for me that Northern Ireland even voted um, with a decent margin actually to remain as well. So you are looking at rump England and and Wales that actually voted uh, to leave and then even in the in even within England all the major cities apart from my hometown much to my uh, chagrin uh, Birmingham actually voted uh, to remain as well and London overwhelmingly so Brit Britain is absolutely split uh, about this people are realizing that um, there was still going to be free movement of people because one of the central planks of of the whole leave um, campaign was to say that we need to take control of our borders and what a lot of people were doing were conflating let's say brown immigration with Eastern European immigration. So you had people saying, well, we've got too many all these refugees from Syria or from Afghanistan or whatever. And then the Romanians. Well, number one, Britain has control over its borders in terms of any, na any nation other than the EU. So that's just nothing to do with the EU. Syria is nothing to do with the EU free movement of labour per se. It isn't anything to do with it. And the remain camp, of, sorry, the leave camp have actually admitted the day after, well, actually, free movement of labour is pretty cool and it helps business and we need London to be still remain the centre, uh, the financial centre of Europe and that kind of aids it. So loads of people thrown at their arms with that. And then also lots of uh, promises were made in terms of if we don't give £350 million a day, to the EU, we can spend it on the National Health Service, uh, which is somewhat ironic because number one, we don't spend £350 million a day, and number two, those people on the right wing of the Tory party that were absolutely pro-Brexit are not necessarily for the National Health Service. So um, I've got a sneaky yeah, feeling. Go on, Rob. Go on, yeah, Rob. You know, but Warfield, you know, it's funny because you, you bring up the immigration aspect and, and mm. here we have our similarities because... While while in Britain, yes, you you are 
you know, UKIP did a fabulous job of, of really bringing the refugees and, and, and the workers and all of this stuff into they, the they country. Did dis- uh, well, they they what, did you see did you see the poster? Did you see the campaign poster that they did? Oh God! Oh God! No, no, no! When I say fabulous, I mean like in in like a oh, green witch with the black hat, like the cauldron, fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is exactly the same here. You know, where does voter perception come in? Because it's very easy to just say. And if Mick was here, he could just, he could do it for us. He could just say Mexicans. Mexicans are coming over the border. Well, because that's a lot easier than saying, well, it's a little more complicated than that. You see, it's a lot of Guatemalan Salvadorans. They're fleeing a lot of gang violence brought on by by American policy. You know what? We're just going to say Mexicans because it's, it's just easier on the tongue. But the perception remains. So this is the problem that I, I see a lot now lately how do you either change the public perception uh, of the what's really going on or is it we need to listen for better or for worse to the voice of the people and apparently the people want stuff like this not many of them not by a large margin but they do i think you know, it's not by accident that uh, there are Eurosceptic parties in Holland, in Sweden, in Spain. Uh, it, Greece, Greece is slightly different because they've had such uh, contagion in, in their economy. You know, it's much more understandable that you would have that the um, parties that want to exit uh, the EU. Um, but I think all of the other uh, countries that I mentioned, there is a racial tinge to the, to their kind of parties that, that kind of want to exit. And when you boil it down, the massive similarities uh, to me are with the states are white working class cities, towns, areas where 50 years ago people could leave high school leave school go and get a job in the local factory but it was a good job in terms of remuneration these were settled communities which the post-war economic uh, status quo was you don't necessarily have to go to university but you work hard and you can bring up your family you know it's that baby boomer generation now in the last 20 30 years of neoliberal economics throughout the whole of the western world that has that has gone and you have anger which is most vocal with white working class men so that's tell me if i'm wrong thomas but that's a lot of that's where trump gets a lot of his support from it's where you ukip get a lot of their support from it's where um, many, um, it's where German neo-fascists get a lot of their support from. But I've got to be slightly careful here before you jump in, Thomas, and, and say that UKIP are not, um, they are not um, an overtly racist party in a way that, let's say, um, the Freedom Party in Germany most definitely are. You know, we are talking about, uh, you know, a, a mainstream British political party, but. It'd be 
only somebody who's extremely naive would say there aren't racial undertones to and dog whistles to a lot of what they say. Um, am I right in saying that there is this phenomenon throughout the Western world where uh, a certain section of society feels disenfranchised by globalization, Thomas? I think I think that's absolutely correct. Um, I think economic secure in, economic insecurity is the the underpinning of a lot of this. Um, you know, you you mention uh, you know used to be able to come out of high school and get a good job. You know that was tied in the past to higher union membership, mm. um, but you know over since 1983 in the U.S., uh, labor union uh, participation has gone down from about one in five workers in the U.S. to uh, almost one in ten. You know, and that's a significant drop. The types of union jobs, labor jobs like that, um, may be a victim to things like NAFTA and globalization and and outsourcing. Of, uh, of positions by U.S. multinational corporations. Um, you know, I, I would say it kind of goes hand in hand, though, with the unraveling of that post-World War II uh, New Deal consensus. Um, and that was bipartisan for the most part in the U.S. But that's been under just steady attack over the last 35 years in the the post Ronald Reagan you know, neoliberal economic policy of privatization and it has created this winner loser economy where yes if you if you go to college and you manage to get one of those good jobs like you can do very well in the US however you're now seeing more more recently the question of, of unsustainable college debt come up in the U.S. because even with your bachelor's degree, now it's not really enough most times to get the life that you feel you were promised by, you know, the quote-unquote American dream. And that's even worse for people who don't go to college. So people look around. They don't, they don't see the invisible hand at work. They don't see the forces of international uh, economic policy and, and globalization necessarily what they see and when you have someone like Donald Trump blowing the dog whistle they see that these brown and black people are taking their jobs they're being told that these people are coming here illegally and taking their jobs but you know I don't see a lot of people willing to be the nighttime janitors I don't see a lot of people willing to go pick grapes so I do think this rise of this this kind of nasty nativist uh, strand of conservatism is definitely not so much about the the Paul Ryan uh, and Rand type of uh, ideology, but is much more about the pocketbook. So I do think you're right in that extent. Mm. Will we have a United Kingdom in 10 years? Let's have some wild speculation, gentlemen. Uh, I would venture a guess that, and and this is based purely on um, some kind of deep down inside, oh, wouldn't that be fun, uh, seeing Scotland and Ireland embrace uh, some kind of uh, unity uh, over uh, England and Wales, and you'll have two united, not really kingdom. Well, one is a kingdom. Uh, one is a, I don't know what you would call it, 
confederation <laughs> maybe you know i i, I tell you and I, and I i was wittering on earlier and i realized i hadn't when i handed over um, i realized i hadn't quite come come to the end, end of my point but i'm gonna quickly say this is that that this this referendum document doesn't actually bind uh, parliament to do anything it's just consultative number one though very obviously um MPs can't just say, nah, we're just, just going to ignore it. But it actually doesn't legally mean that we, we need to do a thing. Um, since we've been talking, um, the shadow cabinet of the Labour Party is almost to the man resigned en masse because of the lacklustre performance of the leader of the Labour Party. And arguably what has, what has lost this vote was the fact that traditional working class um, areas who vote for the Labour Party... Uh, I think some 35% of them, or at least 30% of them, voted to leave. And this is because, this, a lot of people see this is because of the fact that the leader of the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, wasn't a staunch proponent for Remain. So we've had four, we're having fallout in the Labour Party. We are having uh, Boris Johnson, the ex-Mayor of London, who was the foremost uh, MP to leave Number one, he's backtracking on things like the single market. And there's another BBC alert telling <laughs> me that um, the one Labour MP in uh, in Scotland has resigned from from the from the Labour shadow cabinet. You know, there is <laughs> massive, massive uh, eruptions going on politically in the, in the United Kingdom. I think there's going to be a second general election within six months. And what is going to happen there? is that MPs, people are going to stand for Parliament and they're going to say, I'm not voting for us to go out. If you want, if you want the UK to leave, uh, you know, vote for, vote, vote for somebody else. And what is going to happen is that there's going to be an overwhelming return to Parliament of MPs that actually want us to remain and then it will force a second referendum. This thing ain't over because people are looking at the fact that the country is going to uh, disintegrate rapidly. Um, just as, a, just as a, a, a point to show you how serious this is, is that in, in Northern Ireland, and Northern Ireland has this weird uh, constitutional arrangement where it's a part of the United Kingdom, but obviously it's on the island of Ireland. Um, anybody who is born in the island of Ireland can claim a Southern Irish uh, passport. It's one of the, the laws of the, the of the Irish state that they'll recognise anybody who has a Northern Ireland uh, a birthright. In other words, they're British, they can apply for a passport, an Irish passport. Um, they've run out of application papers in Belfast yesterday. You know, This is the first sign. I think I'm calling it right now, here and now. Yeah. I, I, you're going to see them unite and Scotland's going to get in on this and they're all going to have this big Celtic EU like migrancy. It's going to be cool. And well, England and Wales can just, you know, they can have Cardiff and that's fine. No, no. Listen, in England isn't isn't going anywhere. The, the other problem is with this. <laughs> the other problem is with this for, for, the, for the British economy, for all of those areas of, of the UK, maybe not all, but a lot of those areas of the UK that voted uh, to leave is that the overwhelming driver of the e of the UK economy is the city of London, and it's one of the reasons why um, 
I, I prattle on to people all the time, uh, specifically Americans, and, and try and explain the economic uh, and the geopolitical makeup of the United Kingdom is nothing like America, in that if you want to work in fashion and you are in America, you might go to New York. If you want to work in aerospace, you go to Seattle. If you want to work in entertainment, you go to Los Angeles. If you want to work in software, you go to Silicon Valley, Strokes, uh, San Francisco. Um, you know, if you want to work in politics, you go to Washington. The answer for all of those things in the UK is London. So to take London out of the equation or to piss London off, right, you absolutely screw, you take 30% of the GDP from the United Kingdom, uh, you lose it in one, one fail swoop. Um, and this annoys a lot of people in, in, in the UK. You know, I'm from a small town, well, not a small town, it's all the second city of the, of the UK, uh, Birmingham. But it feels much smaller than London because it doesn't have the multiplicity uh, of industries. It doesn't have the economic weight of London. Um, you know, London is very much a world city in the way that my hometown, Birmingham, actually isn't. So you piss London off at your peril. Uh, Ireland cannot afford to take on, uh, the Irish state cannot afford to take on Northern Ireland. It economically doesn't have uh, the money and doesn't have the cojones because anyhow it tries to snap all Northern Ireland, you'd have a re-erupting of, of the troubles because the Protestants there won't have that. They're very attached to the Union Jack for a whole load of reasons which we won't go into now. Uh, Scotland can go it alone as a separate country, but I fear for, for I fear for the land of my birth. I absolutely do. And um, but this thing ain't over yet. You know the Labour Party is disintegrating. Go on. I'm sorry. I just have a question. I wanted to pick up on your idea of a second referendum. Mm-hmm. Um, we say it's not over. I mean, it, it's kind of heady and 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 you know philosophical. But isn't there a problem with allowing a second referendum? You can. Uh, you can only. I think we can only have it if there's a general election first. Uh, one of the problems. One of the one of the problems with all of this is that, um, and this is one of the areas where you Americans you, you, you do this much better than us. Your constitution is designed for things not to happen. For, to, for things to be blocked all over the place. So Congress can can raise something and the Senate go nah or the President will go nah or mm. the Supreme Court eventually will just go that's unconstitutional. That doesn't happen right. in the United Kingdom. Um, Parliament is sovereign. Okay. So um, and then also with this, there was no supermajority. It was 50% and one vote. And I was explaining to somebody today that um, back in 1999, Tony Blair um, offered Scotland and Wales devolved government because up until that point, the, U- the United Kingdom was totally a unitary country. Um, so people in Wales, people in Scotland could actually vote to see if they wanted their own assemblies or parliaments. The Welsh Assembly was passed with, with literally 10,000 votes difference. It was so close. Now, it frustrates me when I look at American politics, and specifically the Senate and all these kind of super majorities that you need to get. But something of such constitutional importance, it would have made sense if it needed to be a clear majority of 60% to change the status quo. Now, I, I admit this is bolting the stable door after the horse is bolted 
you know I, I you know I, I freely admit that, that that's what it is but still because every, you know the immediate run on the pound which an idiot could have foreseen that that was going to happen and and yes it's bounced back to a degree but the long-term implications of this the fact that um, you're still going to have Europeans, uh, Romanians, Bulgarians working in London because you cannot divorce your your economy from freedom of um, freedom of movement of, of labour, free movement of labour. Sorry, um, etc. And because London is the shining jewel of world finance you know it is marginally bigger than new york in terms of international finance you're not going to kill that goose and especially if that goose is um propping up the economy by a tune of 30 percent so what is going to happen if the tory party is in meltdown cameron has resigned the 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 opposition party the Labour Party is in meltdown there are no there is no political but this is how serious this is there's no political party in the United Kingdom which is evenly represented in the four provinces of the United Kingdom there is no union party anymore we've got the Scottish National Party in Scotland we have the Labour Party disintegrating in Wales we have um, a Tory party which is riven um, in England and then we have a, a Labour Party hanging on at its fringes in, in, in working class towns of which um, people don't do what the Labour Party wants them to do because they see it as being a middle class liberal elite and then you have London going, going its own, own way this is serious stuff and, and people in the United Kingdom have kind of realised and um, MPs are, are voting with their conscience and saying no, um, I cannot do this. Um, our leadership be damned. We're looking at you know the United Kingdom is about to step over a precipice, and a second gen- a new general election has to be called um, because there is no way that if a bill was put in front of Parliament tomorrow, and it's not going to happen tomorrow to say, right, let's start renegotiating to get out of the EU, it will fail. And if it repeatedly fails, uh, there'll, then there'll be a, a motion of no confidence put in the government, which would pass, which means a general election of which MPs will go to the people and say, look, you vote for me, I, w- I want to remain, or you vote for me and I want to leave. And you'll have a radically different uh, composition of parliament. They'll have a mandate. Whoever gets in, it'll be a, a government of national unity. And they would have a mandate to call a second referendum. That second referendum will pass with over 60%. Because they say if it's drawn again now with what people know now, it would be a 60% easy to remain in the EU. So I don't think we're actually going to leave. What this does to our world standing in five years, ten years time, I have no idea though, I have no idea and um, you know we've talked about this being the end of the uh, economic consensus, well that, that died uh, maybe maybe in the 80s, arguably in the oil crisis of 1973 in terms of um, the economic status quo whereby you could work, get a job, get a pension, look after your family type of thing. But this is the end of the post uh, 
1945 settlement in terms of Europe, which was all about having a bulwark, whether it was NATO or the EU, against um, against war. This is how serious this actually is. And I think it's one of the successes of the EU that many people have forgotten. This wasn't just um, a common market. This was, all, this was also a way to bind France with Germany politically, underline that economically, because countries that trade generally don't go to war. And because it's been so successful, because no one can think, can imagine a world in which France could go to war with Italy or Germany could attack Poland. You can't imagine that anymore. And people have forgotten uh, that one of the reasons why this has happened isn't just because there's American GIs in all those bases in Germany. It isn't just because of NATO. It's also because of the EU and and, and, and a trading bloc. You know, and uh, I think people forget this at, at, at their peril. And, and it shows you how much... Uh, wanting to engage and, and to be a part of Europe has helped actually bind the UK together because as soon as we as soon as you want to come out we're running around like headless chickens <laughs> uh, yeah I mean I think goldfish memories is is a big problem on both sides of the Atlantic um, you know if if you know rationality and restraint and uh, calmness was valued by voters um, if the status quo and peace was valued, Barack Obama would be considered one of the best presidents this country's ever had. But instead, the reaction to his restraint in, you know, in uh, international uh, diplomacy and his calm approach to things have people perceiving him as a weak president and has, in a large part, led to the rise of a much more entertaining character and there's not much else to call him but a character in a person of Donald Trump. And I, I can see a parallel there in what you're talking about. People forgetting what it was like before the EU. So too are Americans sort of forgetting how <laughs> unstable things were just in 2003 through 2007. Um, I think, gentlemen, this is um, it's a shame that we didn't didn't have Mick here uh, for for this because uh, number one, it's always nice to hear from Mick, and then number two, um, he can be quite entertaining. Um, but it, it's a shame we didn't have another kind of UK perspective, and I think that's and it's kind of and I've tried to kind of give that as well as kind of ask the questions because uh, um, I feel incredibly kind of passionate about this and and this is absolutely no joke but um i think we should now segue very nicely on to talking about because we we, we talked about a a lot of this we hinted at a lot of this and the similarities between um the pop it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. List right, shall we say, in the United Kingdom and also in the United States. I was ready to pronounce Donald Trump pretty much over, and I see now he's he's basically tied with Hillary yeah. in Ohio and Pennsylvania. How, we just cannot kill this monster. No. Nope. Every nope. time I think this monster is Terminator. Dead. To be fair, the polls that show them tied in Ohio and Pennsylvania are from Quinnipiac, which is not a great pollster. Had a very bad record during the but primaries. Why is he so even, like, you know, people but why is he even game. close? If he has no money, he's broke. She's buying all the advertising. She's got all the organization. Because she's got all the people. He's a fucking how, nut. How, how come? <laughs> how come it's this close? I would direct that does Donald Trump have the temperament to be the president of the United States of America? Mr. Monaco, over to you. <laughs> uh, temperament? Uh, I mean, he's got, you'd have like an Andrew Jackson temperament going on there. Um, it wouldn't I'll be tell you what, if I was Andrew Jackson, I'd be turning in my grave. If you're <laughs> aligning me up with with, uh, with with Donald Trump, at least Andrew Jackson had a little bit more substance about him. Uh, you know, as uh, as angry as he could get. Sure. Yeah. Definite substance. I mean, you know, when a guy sets out to, you know, accidentally murder 2,000 Cherokee, I, you know, you, you go about and do it. It's cool. You know. <laughs> but I think that could he be president? Yes. I mean, it's very possible it would happen. Um, if okay. not, I'm, I'm, by... I'm gonna I'm gonna try and focus in on this. I think he could be president. The fact that he's probably going to be the Republican presumptive well, he's the Republican presumptive nominee. So let's say then that that's he's... just math. That he could be president. Yeah, yeah. So, but does he have the intellectual cojones? Does he have the emotional temperament to be president? It ta- you. This is taking into an assumption that the president has more of an authority than we give credit for nowadays because let's face it Barack Obama certainly has the intelligence and the temperament um, to do his job but he can't do it fully because of Congress and a Supreme Court that is consistently a 5-4 well in this case it would be what 4-4 Four, four. Yeah, right. So, you know, the fact alone says that you could 
be whatever you want. You could be the best person for the job. But unless you have a Congress that is willing to meet you halfway, you're not going to be effective at all. There's only so many executive uh, orders that you can pass before something's going to give. So do I think he has the temperament? No. Could he do it? Yes. There have been worse. Okay, Thomas. All right. I, I, I'm a little bit more alarmist than Rob is on this. I, I'm, I'm totally um, alarmist, but go for it, Thomas. I, I feel like, yes, it's just to pick up on the Barack Obama, uh, you know, example. He's obviously has the intelligence and, and all that, but he also has demonstrated a respect for the Constitution and a restraint. A restraint that Donald Trump almost cartoonishly dismisses. Uh, he doesn't have the intellectual curiosity for policymaking, which is fine. Neither did Reagan, but Reagan had, you know, uh, other qualities of national leadership. And Trump I'll, doesn't I'll, have that. And I'll tell you, uh, another thing which Reagan also had, which Trump doesn't have, is he had an ideological core, didn't he? At least what yeah. Reagan said, whether you agreed with it or not, one thought followed another and made sense in terms of an ideology, whereas Trump is all over the place. Well, well here, here's an example. Just this, this past weekend, you know, Brexit happens and Donald Trump happens to be in Scotland, of all places. And just to show how disconnected he is from major world events, yes, he's there to plug his new golf course, but he's the Republican nominee. And he doesn't even talk about it. He talks about how the hotel was renovated. He, he It's not about the country for Donald Trump. It's about Donald Trump. This is another notch in his belt. This is about his ego. Well, actually, he, he, he did go on Twitter and congratulate the well, it, Britain yes. for <laughs> their leader. Well, he, he gra- congratulated Scotland, which led to one of the best stream of... <laughs> of Twitter burns that I've ever seen. <laughs> but I mean, but, but, but look, I mean, I, I don't want to defend anything that, that he has said that that's, that's pretty reprehensible, but I think the people who quickly want to say that, my God, we might be looking at, uh, you know, a, a Mad Max future of this country. Um, the country is stronger than Trump. Um, the, the people who rally behind him, same as voters who supported the, the leave uh, from the EU, we need to understand where this is coming from. Um, because we can't, I, I think we can't sit here and and say like, well, I don't understand what the hell is wrong with this guy. You know, don't, don't people realize how mind-blowingly ignorant he sounds i think they do i don't think they care and that's i think at the root here um yes we all know trump is an egomaniac anybody who grew up in new york knows what kind of you know jagoff he is but this is the country's first taste of of that special kind of of egotism Uh, and i i don't know I, i think that Maybe he's what we deserve at a point. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm certainly not convinced yet. I think you're right that it, it does speak to our sort of you know 
to use the cliche, our broken politics. Um, and I think people do see him as this agent of chaos, you know, a wrecking ball. It's going to come in and, you know, break the establishment. And, and I've seen that spoken on the left as much as on the right. Um, I, I just I don't see our system right now at a place where I'm as confident as you that it'll weather the storm. I mean, George Will has left the Republican Party. Yes, sure, yes. But, but all these other congressional Republicans are lining up behind him. I don't see there being the courage to really, on a large scale, a Republican Congress, and let's assume that re- Congress is going to remain in the Republican hands because of gerrymandering in the House specifically, um, but the Senate's also hard to swing. I don't see an institutional congressional resistance to tr- a Trump presidency, where I, whereas I more easily see um, supporting him just because he's a Republican. Because but, I think if, if hold on, mm-hmm. I think if there was going to be that sort of courage, you'd see it now. But we still have, how long have we got before Cleveland, before that convention? We still... Uh, just we, a month, right? Okay, we have a month for him to vomit more nonsense forth onto the American people. And then we're going to have a convention whereby... And historically, you know, conventions haven't always been an, an easy ride. You know, that um, the convention in 64... Was um, was somewhat notorious the Republican one, you know, where, where Goldwater um, eventually prevailed. And admittedly, this was a time when deals were still done and deals were done on that floor. But you're going to have a lot of a lot of speakers there. For a start off, a lot of prominent Republicans are not going to go. You know. The Bushes aren't going to go. Mitt Romney's not going to go. Whatever you want to think of them, they're prompt Republicans, they're not going to go. And then you have the ability on that floor for delegates who are bound for Trump actually to say to say no. I don't, I don't th- think you're going to see that. I think that's a dream. Why? Why is it a dream? Because conventions like 64 for the Republicans and 68 for the Democrats are why the current system is in place which is to make these things coronations. Uh, yes, and... and, and you're, I, just not, you're just not going to see it. I mean, Rob, do you disagree? Do you think there's going to be a contested Republican National Convention? There'll be some huffing and puffing and, you know, blowhard people getting up there. Well, I'm not happy about this situation, but uh, all in all, we need to stand by our uh, nominee and support him. And we need to get Obama out of the White House, which is, I believe, what Chris Christie said, not realizing that regardless, he's leaving. (laughs) Just saying. But I fully agree with you, Thomas. I think they're going to support Trump 100%. The man's unfavorables are minus 27%. Republicans know. Republicans know that if he, let's say senior Republicans, they know that if this man leads the Republican Party into that November election, you're looking at one of the most lopsided, if not the most lopsided presidential election in 100 plus years. This is a man who you've said that maybe America deserves right now. And I must admit, I, I think there's a certain amount of performance art to Donald Trump. 
I cannot believe that somebody can be as boorish and as so nakedly a narcissist and so nakedly unprepared when it comes to issues, things like, trust me, I've got a good brain. Is his answer. I just, you know. But there is something to be said for somebody who, um, in national life, who speaks plainly and historically uh, some of the most effective presidents and world leaders have been people who and you know we've said Andrew Jackson who's somewhat you know revisionist history now says yeah okay he wasn't such a great guy but for the, the 150 years after his death you know you Americans thought Andrew Jackson was a great guy and, and he didn't speak like the founding fathers spoke Ronald Reagan didn't you know had a, a, a somewhat simpler way of speaking as compared to other politicians and stuff so and I, and I think these are the same people that would still like the Texas textbooks calling slaves unpaid workers. Of course they like Jackson. He's a <laughs> slave owning white guy. For God's sakes, we plaster them on everything. <laughs> but so we've talked about the fact that there are elements within the West that feel disenfranchised economically, culturally, etc., and, and politically, okay? Now, what, then when you get somebody who at least um, people believe they can aspire to be, and this is much more an American thing as opposed to a European thing, because we don't aspire necessarily to be like, we don't aspire... To, to make money and to be successful in the business, in the, in the way of business, in the way that Americans do. You know, we don't have that kind of aspirational notion of you two can be, be a millionaire. That, that's not the, the British or the German or the French way type of thing. But I understand that if there is somebody who you perceive to be self-made, he's not inherited his money, mm-hmm. but then sounds like you and has, and you feel that they have the same contempt for the political class as you, he becomes your champion. I, I, so it, it is a case of anti-politics and people just think, well, it doesn't really matter. Screw politicians. They all, they're all snake oil salesmen anyway. Um, let's give this guy a bit of a go. Okay, he's a bit rough around the edges, but yeah, he speaks for me. Discuss, Thomas. I didn't know there was a question in there. Well, <laughs> I thought it was a statement. It absolutely um, but, was a statement, but but, yeah. but but tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. No, I, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, it goes, look, in 2000, people rather would have had a beer with George W. Bush than with Al Gore. And a lot of people kind of use that as the litmus test. You know, every presidential election, who would you rather have a beer with? Um, but it kind of goes back to what I said before. If, if that's what people valued, then then Obama would have like a 78, 80 percent approval rating. Um, you know, if they they wanted, uh, you know, intelligence and, you know, policy chops and stuff like that. And, and I think that's one of Clinton's, you know, one of the albatross around her neck is, she's you know, she's competent. not. She, well, not, yeah, she is very competent on paper. She's one of the most, uh, you know prestigious people to run for president since john quincy adams Mm. but um you know she's not very good with a crowd 
you know she's she's fairly look some they've been beating this drum against her and she's been investigated for almost 20 years you know either she is moriarty or there's no dirt there but yet she has this this uh untrustworthiness aura about her that is going to be damaging to her and when you juxtapose that against someone like trump who apparently doesn't have a filter and you know is that that type where you know he's honest what you see is what you get yeah a lot of people find that refreshing because he doesn't have canned answers uh, the way someone like clinton who, who's been in the game for you know 30 years does and and i think that shows rob let's say he does face clinton in november he loses every state in the union or maybe gets one or two you know i don't know <laughs> west virginia you know, alabama whatever right but it's a it's an overwhelming defeat uh what happens to the republican party after that i think they need to do a lot of soul searching um you know i <laughs> I, I, I i used to be a a strong Jeffersonian kind of inspired Republican. Um, you know, there, there's a lot to be said for the the older. You can keep your musket uh, underneath your bed. Yeah, you could take it from my cold dead. A <laughs> <laughs> Charlton Heston Jeffersonian a Republican. Um, but I, you know, there, there are conservative values that we forget. We call them liberal nowadays, but they are conservative values. That mm-hmm. freedom of speech, mind your own business, stop judging other people, and keep your nose to yourself, and all of these wonderful things that, for some reason, don't have a place in modern conservative politics. And I really think that, and on the Democrat side as well, maybe this country needs to start seriously considering that four-party uh, system that where you've got your very left left of center right of center very right kind of political party map that can give everybody an actual voice I mean, maybe we're, we're not going to get you know that that great big red or blue map but this country is that for better or for worse that's purple that people keep on mentioning on all the, the news programs uh, but the Republican Party needs to really take an honest look at itself and say what do we want to do when we lose people like Thomas pointed out George Will these flag bearers of the party these these icons because people don't there's too many words in their speeches I mean come on it, it, it's quite frankly I don't know at this point. <laughs> I'm feeling my blood pressure go up. That's what I. That's what I'm feeling. I, I think the U.S. this purely from a, a, an interested observer from the outside it, it, it is ready for a, a party realignment. But how possible is that, Thomas? When you look at the American political system, because you're just set up binary. That's just the way politics just runs in this country, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you'd have to go back to like the 1840s and the dissolution of the Whigs to really see a whole bunch of parties uh, that ended up forming the Republican Party uh, in the 1850s to really 
uh, have a precedent for this, and I obviously people don't really have an idea of how this would work. It would sort of be uncharted, uh, uncharted territory. Um, but I, I don't think the Republican Party can exist um, as a one unitary party with its current uh, base and ideas. I think there needs to be a split there. The Tea Party, you know, is a thing. And that's what the base is of the Republican votership. Um, you know, there's probably a center-right party, as Rob points out. Uh, you're probably able to call that out. Um, and obviously on the far left, you have the Bernie supporters uh, who would probably be centrist in Europe, but in the U.S. are the far left. I could easily see, if I'm just chopping up you know, the U.S. party system like cabbage, how it could break into four uh, distinct parties. But I don't know if we have an ideological way to view this to figure out how we get from here to there. Maybe that is Donald Trump's gift to the body politic in America, that is actually you're going to have a realignment and then you're going to have these the populist Trump free party uh, schism within the Republican Party and then there'll be a... You know, this this Bernie this Bernie rump will say, "Well, hell, if the other side can do it, we, we can do this too." Maybe that is that that is the reason why you've got the politician, which you said you probably deserve at the moment. Wow, wouldn't that be amazing if thirty years in the future we're doing this in in middle schools across the country? I mean, and that, boys and girls, is the Trump Sanders effect that split the parties. <laughs> that's, that's we owe it all to Supreme Court Justice Trump and uh, <laughs> <laughs> his very, very good policies. <laughs> and on that note, I think we should uh, maybe talk about something a little bit more lighthearted, like death and destruction in the Game of Thrones. Oh man, that was so cathartic, wasn't it? Just so, uh, oh, Thomas, Battle of the Bastards. Thomas. Holy crap! Cue us up, cue us up, Thomas, very quickly. Because no, so... I know you're a big Game of Thrones fan. Uh, <laughs> number one, if so, if if a listener has been underneath a rock and doesn't know what it is, what the hell is Game of Thrones? And then tell us about that last episode. All right, uh, I guess Game of Thrones is the brainchild of George R. R. Martin. Uh, science fiction writer. The books have been out for maybe 20 years, going back to the, when the first one came out. Uh, but HBO has done a, a pretty good job adapting them into, I think, the most watched show on television, even though it's on a paid subscription uh, you know, site. Um, but essentially, it, it's like the the War of the Roses fought in Middle Earth. Um, essentially is the best analogy I, I can really think of. And, and there's a lot of, of really cool historical references made throughout. Um, but there's this one house, House Stark, who've been the protagonists for most of the, um, the show and have just one disaster after another after another. Finally, in season seven, next to last episode of season seven, they score a major victory and it was... It was just amazing. Rob, tell us about that battle. Well, I mean, 
beyond the fact that they had to invent essentially new technology to record it so that you could have what's his name kit harrington literally in the middle of horses running past him and guys with great big swords um that was brilliant enough on its own but anyone who has has a little interest in history will notice that um the opposing side the uh house bolton utilized uh, tactics that the carthaginians utilized during uh-huh. the battle of canny uh, i mean not so much that you know where the romans had a giant wall of dead bodies behind them but <laughs> literally yeah they formed that half circle around the soldiers and penned them in and just slaughtered the romans to a man which is what they were doing at this point even with the help of one one who let's <laughs> have a moment of silence for one one now i'm i'm no armchair general but maybe I am. But when they surrounded them, and he was there, the big old giant, I said to myself, why the hell doesn't he just run through that shield wall, create a, create yeah. a gap, and then they all get out of there? I, I, I couldn't quite see why he was so penned in there, because he's pretty big. Yeah, that was... that was uh, You found the loophole there that the, the giant didn't take uh, exceptional actions in that that was the that was the weird thing in that situation well i, I think we could also both agree that uh, i think the key word of the episode was serpentine or or lack thereof serpentine i'm looking at you rickon who the hell runs in a straight line well what? thank you i i, I think <laughs> i didn't think that was uh... serpentine man <laughs> yeah exactly he's obviously not watched much of the NFL has he you know he should have no. been jinking left and right I'm I, I completely <laughs> now what what did we think about um, that battle with the mother of dragons there Daenerys and and the way that she just locked, jumped onto that dragon's back there you know was she displaying good aerial battle formation as she took out those uh, those ships those slaver ships uh as a as a total war uh warhammer uh player um no you're setting your flying units up for uh you know peppering from artillery and arrow fire i mean what what, what do you do it's ridiculous <sighs> you know I, that, I, that was probably picked up by a few people i'm just gonna when you post this a few people know what i'm talking about uh, considering that i don't what you're talking about tell us it's Warhammer. It's 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 a UK thing. There's a little fantasy people on on the board, and you move them around, and you, the, oh, it's... some geeky games that you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. Oh, okay. All right. Smash it. <laughs> now, I must admit that I am an avid watcher of Game of Thrones. If you can call illegally downloading it on a Monday or a Tuesday, and kind of watching it, and letting it gloss over me. Uh, an avid watcher i.e i'm only really interested in two possibly three stories and there are so many characters that i forget them all the time like holdor 
I forgot all about him until until that that last episode where you know, and I thought, oh, he's a nice guy. But that Brianna of whatever she's from, Tars or whatever. Gosh, yeah, there you go, Brianna of Tars, the Sapphire Islands. She gets on my wick. I'm telling you, just oh, she's. Just... I don't know what that means. That sounded dirty. <laughs> oh, is that a British expression? She gets. She's just boring. She gets on my nerves. That's what get get okay. on your wick. That's just. I don't oh. think that's what we were thinking. Well, <laughs> well, she would want to get on my wick because isn't, isn't she? She bats the other way, doesn't she? So she's she's you know. But anyway. Moving swiftly. You have up. no idea. What are you talking about? No. She loves Jamie Lannister. No. She's not a lesbian. No. Well, Is that what you're saying? Yeah, kind of. But whatever. Right. She's a just... strong, independent woman, for God's yeah, sake, man. She doesn't have to be a lesbian because she's a strong, independent woman. And but, she was. But I tell in you, I te- listen, I tell you, the, the lesbian of who I, I do find um, absolutely compelling as a character is the uh, wannabe queen of the Iron Islands, whose name I completely forget. You know, now she, she's a much more interesting character. This is not a kind of, oh, I don't like lesbians type of thing. I just find her just too one-dimensional. You know, <laughs> I'm just doing the right thing and I'm just so noble and I just walk across the all of Westeros and I just do noble things and, oh, it's just boring. But, but my point <laughs> is, the reason for me why that episode was just so enjoyable is the two stories that I'm that I actually really understand if you're only watching that thing with you know one eye closed as I do half the time um the complexities of all the stuff with the sparrow this and the sparrow the high sparrow that it's kind of lost on me because I'm not you know but the two stories I'm invested in Jon Snow and the Mother of Dragons they just boiled it down to that. Everybody else was superfluous. Right. And then it was the most cinematic dollop of loveliness. It was just a beautiful thing to behold. And yes, it was a wet dream for any boy that has always wanted to see uh, a medieval battle. And yes. it was just... Uh, you, with the exception of why the hell the giant didn't just bust through that wall (laughs) i cannot oh and the other slight fault i would say is that i I wanted to see more of that battle you know against the slavers i wanted i wanted to see those guys really get it you know yeah but my god that was one hour of nigh on perfect television and if my lord god maker and decided to take me after watching that and I said fair enough I've lived a good life I've watched (laughs) (laughs) I so enjoyed that it was just it was absolutely brilliant um surely that's going to be the high point of Game of Thrones uh Thomas the only way is down from here on in surely uh, I don't know I mean it's going to be pretty satisfying um you know when they show that uh, Jon Snow is actually a secret Targaryen and he ends up marrying his uh, aunt Daenerys Targaryen and being the king of Westeros. I think that'll be a good that'll be a good thing because that's where I'm predicting it goes. Uh, I, I disagree. I think on today's episode because we had such a high last week they're going to, I don't know, whoever your favorite character is, they're going to murder them in uh, a horrible <laughs> horrible bloody way today uh there's only one more dog left right they're gonna kill it shadow right yeah shadow's dead or ghost Ghost? was it ghost 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 Ghost. yeah Yeah. ghost is gonna die well they're expensive that's why they've been killing so many dire wolves this season and after you pay for a battle like that you gotta you gotta get rid of the other dog the other the other wolf (laughs) 
can we fire? <laughs> Let's cut the CG staff. All right. <laughs> Gentlemen, illuminating discussion on Game of Thrones, but we need to finish up uh, with our takeaways of the week. Over to you, Mr. Middle School Teacher, Mr. Rob Monaco. What's your takeaway for the last seven days? Oh, jeez. Yeah, I'm going to give you a middle school response. Uh, <laughs> Steam Summer Sale 2016. This is the time of year where people spend money that they don't have on video games that they don't need. Um, there are, uh, yeah, there's a lot of good history and educational games out there. People actually look for them. So my takeaway is go and play something smart for a change learn something yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> mr daly what's your takeaway uh my takeaway is that if the year 2016 was a computer it's time to unplug it and reboot it and hope for a better outcome oh um well yeah how will i play video games if i unplug the computer though you turn it back on <laughs> oh. oh okay <laughs> um my takeaway is that a lot of people who are passionate about democracy and uh the future of the world uh a lot of us sit on our hands and we just expect and presume that other people think and will act like us and we are complacent to the seething anger and uh, which a lot of people um, actually inherently kind of hold and I will completely admit that I am somebody wants to say I am a somewhat of a smug metropolitan liberal elitist even though with every fibre of my body I'm, I'm a, a working class bloke I understand why somebody would paint me as such So uh, and, because, and people like me have certain assumptions and certain um, biases against others who uh, don't come from that background and then that's the reason why you have the result that you've had in the UK and as much as that decision was wrong uh, people like me uh, Londonites, Metropolitanites need to look at ourselves and truly understand the reasons why so many areas of uh, the United Kingdom feel that the European Union is not for them and that people who have different skin colours, different weird sounding surnames, uh, different religions are absolutely truly alien uh, and, we, and we've got to understand why, why people think that. That's my takeaway of the week. Gentlemen, this has been, um, it, it, it's been nice to get back into the Mid-Atlantic chair. And just to say, just to give you an idea of how quickly things are moving in, in the UK. Since we've, been, since we've started recording, the leader of the Liberal Democrats, which is the third largest uh, UK party, has said that they will go into the next election opposing EU withdrawal. Nicola Sturgeon, who's the First Minister of Scotland, says Scotland will try and block UK withdrawal from the EU. And um, three members of the Shadow Cabinet of the Labour Party have resigned. The, uh, the Shadow 
Chancellor have said uh, if there's a leader lab, uh, Labour leadership uh, contest, it needs to take place quickly. Um, and I could go on and on and on. And that's just in the last hour since we've been recording. So, as uh, I said, I don't think the EU is actually going to leave. Uh, there's going to be too many blocks in the way, and uh, there's going to be a second, ref- there's going to be a general election and, and, and a referendum. And uh, there is meltdown politically all over the UK. Um, gentlemen, if people want to hang out with you guys on social media, how can they do that? I'm going to first start off with you, Mr. Thomas Daly. Um, if people want to follow me, they can uh, find me on Twitter at uh, American underscore bio. Um, it's my podcast, American Biography. And you can find that on Facebook, too. And you can also download that on iTunes and other podcasts and other podcatchers if you want to hear my uh, nonpartisan historical, historically objective take on things. <laughs> okay. And uh, how about you, Mr. Monaco? Um, if they want to find out that rumors of my podcast demise are greatly exaggerated or if they want to yell at me for not doing anything in I don't know how many months it's been they could go on Twitter at podcast history that's it (laughs) alright and if you can be so fussed or bothered um, you can follow me on the Twitters where I am at Royfield which is R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D you can also maybe check out my latest uh, podcast which is of a historical bent which is 10 American Presidents where um, with the help of Kevin Stroud from the History of English podcast we look at the speech patterns of the presidents and how they've contributed to the development of American English. Um, that has been um, me, Royful Brown, with Rob Monaco and Thomas Daly, uh, spanning um, London via San Francisco, Connecticut and Massachusetts, looking at politics and culture from both sides of the Atlantic. Don't forget, if you want to really help us out, you can write us a review on iTunes. Uh, we quite like those. Or you can also find us on the Twitters where Mid-Atlantic is uh, there. Where you can find us on mid Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Atlantic Show. We'll see you all again in two weeks' time. 